0: Developers, 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 developers,
1: developers, 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 developers.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Slender, And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We're recording this on the evening of October 4th, 2015. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a consultant in the field of technology and specifically software development. Uh, the three of us, Todd, Chris, and I have a decent amount of experience and familiarity with consulting. And actually in the pre-show discussion that we had, I was pretty surprised to find out just how varied our experiences are. Um, and in fact, how varied the uh, definitions of some of our terms was. Um, (laughs) but before we get into that discussion, I wanted to check with you guys and see what you're up to. Um, Chris, what's, what's new with you? you have anything?
0: Well, it hasn't changed too much from, from last time. I mean, we're all getting ready for Philly.net Code Camp. We've got a lot of stuff going on. But just to get drilled into a little specifics is uh, one of the things I want to do in my SignalR talk this time is talk about the debugging performance tools. And a lot of times people introduce SignalR, the real-time web technology for ASP.net, and, and then they don't show you how to debug it when things go wrong because it turns out SignalR is very good at uh, swallowing errors and exceptions and just leaving you with a I don't know what happened feeling. Yeah. yeah. So there are some traces you can turn on that will help you out. And in fact, I have a a live actual bug that was driving me nuts that I solved using the tracing and logging and debugging. And so I I feel like bringing that, that bug back will
2: maybe help some people and I've been focusing on that to get ready for Code Camp. Nice. Yeah, I always like to include some bugs in my talks. It makes it a little (laughs) more uh, authentic. (laughs) You're world (laughs) famous for your bugs, especially if anything (laughs) to do with Azure. Yeah, my (laughs) Azure talks do not go well. Uh, So, Todd, what's up with you?
1: Uh, pretty much the same thing. Getting ready for the Philly Code Camp. Get my talk ready. Um, that's really it. Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Don't more exciting going on right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're recording this on October fourth, Philly Code Camp, uh, which uh, all three of us are talking is actually coming up later this week. And uh, yeah, I, that's that's the same with me. I'm I'm actually uh, I've got my full day Angular talk on Friday, and then uh, t- two talks on Saturday. And then you know we've got our web panel that the three of us are going to be on. We're actually going to try and record that. I hope that works out. Um, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, but uh, I'm not. I'm still not sure about that. So, all right, so tonight we're going to be talking about software development consulting, and we're going to try and give you the lay of the land, like what does it mean to be a consultant in software development, Uh, what's the difference between 1099 and corp to corp, you know, those kind of terms, Uh, what is your day-to-day going to look like? when you're a consultant versus just, you know, regular old employee. Um, and also what are the things that you should consider when you're thinking about becoming a a consultant, making the switch, right? If you're an employee now and I'm thinking about becoming a consultant, what does that mean? What should you consider? Uh, but before we get into that, I have to give a big, huge disclaimer, especially about the last point that really sounded like I was giving you advice or we're going to be giving you advice. Um, so the three of us do have some real world experience with all this, but we're absolutely not lawyers. Um, my uncle's a lawyer. My, my sister-in-law is a lawyer. You know, I know a lot of lawyers. I'm not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so keep that in mind. And uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that everything you're about to hear is for entertainment purposes only, right? That's our big disclaimer. Uh, so definitely don't blame us if you take our advice and it doesn't go well for you. We're, we're completely <laughs> off the hook. And if you have and, a problem and- with that, go ahead and turn it off now. But – Yes. All that aside. And definitely
1: take the time to research anything we talk about, particularly if you're interested in getting into consulting, do your research. Absolutely. Consider Don't take this what we an, say as, as face value.
2: Right, right. Consider this an introduction, right? Uh, so with all that out of the way, let's just start out with the obvious question of what exactly is a consultant. Let's define it. What's a, what's a consultant? Um, Todd. In the pre in the pre uh, discussion, the pre show discussion, you and I were kind of debating about this this fundamental term. So why don't you uh, why don't you talk about what you think is the definition of a consultant?
1: So putting me on the spot, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so to me, a consultant is someone whose main role and responsibility is to provide a specific type of expertise to a customer. It may be a specific type of technology, or maybe as simple as, like if you hire a plumber to come to your house, their job is to fix your plumbing, right? They have an expertise in that things. When it comes to software, it's really about, like I said, typically type of software. Like I work for a company where people come to us for user experience expertise. I've worked for other companies where people came to us to work for a certain platform, whether it be like SharePoint or BizTalk. So that's pretty much my definition. How about you?
2: Well, so I think the our, the debate that we have is that my experience has been um, a little bit varied than that, right? So the, the, the folks that I call consultants have typically not necessarily been, you know, specialized employee. They don't necessarily have a specialized knowledge of, you know, .NET or or client-side development, browser-based development, Angular, anything like that. Um, but they, they are more along the lines of what you would consider just a general employee, right? Like a... Uh, just somebody who just kind of, I generally know ASP.net. I'm, I'm not necessarily an expert in it, but I know it. I can develop it. I can help you develop an ASP.net application. I can sit alongside your employees and help you guys write some code and, and build your application. But in terms of skills or anything else, I'm, I'm really not much different than, um, than, than the employee that you're used to. And uh, so, so, we, we call those folks consultants I mean I've been in that role as well and I've called myself a consultant as well as the uh, the, the folks that are coming in and doing exactly what you're talking about Todd which is um, you know the, the expertise in a certain area um, so I typically consider the consultant the term consultant to cover a wide a wide a, a wide spectrum um, basically to con- to uh, basically to cover both of our definitions right you've got those experts in the field who have years of experience in one particular technology and are just giving you expert advice and on the other hand you have um, what's typically known as staff augmentation right where basically you're just looking for somebody that comes in and, and does development work and, and is, is assigned work items and completes them and checks code in right alongside with the other employees um, I mean I, I, Chris do you have any, uh, any, uh, any issues with well, those think... definitions?
0: I think what we came to, to to realize is that there are two classes of definitions. There's the, the definition of, of the day-to-day responsibilities. So that ran everything from this from staff augmentation to um, providing specific expertise or even a, or even finishing a project for for a customer. Um, and then we spent a little bit of time talking about the employee employer relationship and how you get paid and that that was a pretty important place to start because fundamentally you could do everything from changing the the way you've gotten paid before in terms of how the irs treats you as an employee to you know not really being all that different at all and still being an employee that gets a w-2 and ends up getting you know group health insurance and maybe even uh, some some kind of vacation benefit and and so those kinds of considerations were a good place to start when you think about like, how do I want to jump into this? And, yeah. and you could jump in with, I think what we're going to talk about is is jump in with both feet first or is there a way to dip your toe in the pool?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that, that was my big uh, question. When I first was looking for work, when I, when I, f- my first experience with consulting was I was laid off from my job, my employment job, right? I was a W2 in the U S it's, it's the IRS term is the WM2 or, or W2. I'm an employee for a company. I get a regular paycheck, regular benefits, all of those things. Um, and I was laid off. Right. And then I was, I, by that point I had a pretty, Decent amount of experience. I had a number of years in my belt, and you know, I, I thought that maybe I could make a little bit more money um, in this doing this thing called consulting for for folks rather than the standard em- employment uh, relationship. And so I started going out, and I just started looking at you know Monster.com, the standard job boards, where where the same place that you would find uh, regular employment jobs, salaried positions, you, you're also finding some of these you know consulting positions or contract positions, and I would see terms like 1099 or corp to corp or director or things like that um and i had absolutely no idea what any of those things meant and uh come to find out i, I kind of you know did some research and i, I looked into some of them and I, I talked to some folks um and come to find out it, it really does boil down to effectively two relationships that you have with the end client, you know, the people that you're making software for, the company that you're making software for. And that is either you are working for yourself, you're self-employed, or you're working for another company. And that other company that I'm referring to could be, you know, is an intermediary between you and the end client who's actually, you know, receiving the deliverables, receiving the software and building the software. Um, And so under that, when you have um, you, right, you're, you're, you're self-employed, that is the, the classic 1099. You have no corporation um, and all of the, the earnings and everything that the company pays you, the end client pays you. There's no real middleman. Um, and you take all of those things directly and, and the tax liability flows directly to you. Everything flows directly to you. Um in this scenario, you can still like deduct expenses like technology expenses like when you buy a laptop or whatever, your home office expenses, all that stuff again, you know consult a, a a cPA, consult a tax attorney, but you know typically you can you can get those benefits um and this tends to be like the simplest. there's no middleman, you take all the risks, they give you a check, and then you know you're you need to take care of taxes and everything else. You need to work with a cPA and figure out how much you owe at the end of the year. And the key, Jess, uh-huh. with ten ninety nine, I think,
0: is is that it's pretty much it's in a way you can think of it like paying your your doctor or your plumber, except that when we pay them personally, we don't have to do this reporting that corporations have to do. So a corporation right. says, I'm just gonna pay Jess, you know, a certain amount of money for this week's work and you just get a check for it but now they're required to get you a 1099 just like most of us are in the u.s are used to getting w-2s and then we're going to do our tax return that way so this is strictly talking about the u.s so when you're talking about a 1099 that's just a form that says okay we paid you this money and most of the time the boxes for, for for uh withheld funds is usually zero in in this case and so that means you're on the hook for things that W two employees get get withheld automatically. Yeah, like, you got to figure you know, it all out yourself. Right, and and oftentimes it means paying uh, at least in raw numbers, it seems like you're paying more. But then you also got the money up front instead of W two employee that's had it withheld from the point of payment, and it was just withheld all the way until it was time to to reconcile, which we do in the
2: U S. in April. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and so this this class of of uh, of of relationship is uh, in in the United States, the IRS is the terms it uh, independent contractor or independent consultant, and that is you, right? That is you as a as an individual is interacting with with an organization with an end client directly, and you're not going through really any any middleman. Now there there is the term corp to corp, which when I heard it really confused me. Um, but this basically means that there is a corporation in between you and you know, in between the person doing the work and the end client. Now, when you are an independent contractor, you can set up your own corporation. And so that's still technically corp to corp, right? So that your corporation is billing them and then they pay the corporation and then the corporation pays you. So this could be as simple as you're the only employee of the corporation, right? Or it could be you join another organization, and they bill right and so then you may become an employee of that organization and then I, be, I believe todd that's what you have the most experience with right
1: yeah the uh where i'm a basically a full-time employee for a consulting firm and they run the gamut too they have different firms do different things and even in some cases project i'm on may be slightly different than some other projects uh but typically when you, when you join a, a consulting firm the relationship between the customers, the customer, and the, the company you work for, so the consulting firm you work for, right? and then you are an employee of that firm, and depending on the the re- contract or the relationship you have with your employer, you may still be an hourly rate um, and be put more into like a staff hog type situation, or in most cases where I've worked, we are full-time employees who happen to, our work is built out to the customer. Work I do on a day-to-day basis is built out to the customer. I don't, but I can still pay, get paid the same. I'm a salary employee for my corporation.
2: Right, right. So in other words, what you just said is you, ha- you, you are an employee of that corporation. You're, In other words, in the U.S., we call it W-2 because that's when you file your taxes at the end of the year. Um, you, you file a, a W-2 form, which means that you get a salary, right? So you're basically guaranteed a salary regardless of the hours, a base salary, regardless of the hours you work or, or what you do, or even if you are working for a client. Or anything, right?
1: Yeah, that, that is correct. Right. And so once um, you
2: have that relationship with a company, that company can be engaged in various projects. They can be engaged in this staff augmentation that we're talking about or, you know, more specialized specialized skills or, or things like that. Is, that. is that right?
1: That is correct, yeah. I mean, the way I kind of look at it is there are different types of firms. Um, there are firms that basically act as sort of middlemen who hire you out directly. That kind of fits more into that that contractor uh role the only difference is you still get a, a 1099 from them or sorry, sorry you get a w2 from them and you're an employee of that company but the relationship between you and the customer is still a, a contractor type relationship um that's more fits into that staff augmentation you're just augmenting their staff they need to have so many .NET developers and they choose to bring in a bunch of consultants in to do that role as opposed to hiring employees themselves and the other spectrum of that is more of a project by project basis, which is typically how I did my work, uh, what I do fits into that project by project, which is the customer comes to us and they say, we need to have this thing built, or we need to have help doing X, Y, and Z. And the relationship between the my company and the customer is established through something called a statement of work, which is basically a contract, a legal contract. And it states, we're going to deliver these services, and this is going to be the hourly rate, and this is the cost at the end of the day, right?
0: Well, I think that if you're a W two employee that's that's doing staff augmentation, that's just basically, you know, you're sitting right next to other employees, um, and you're going to get paid by your parent company. Then the advice really isn't all that much different from just getting a job. The only difference is is, is that depending on how the, the the relationship might work. I, I can speak to uh, some previous uh, places that I worked at where, you know, sitting right next to me was someone that we day to day called a contractor. And no, they did not work for my employer. They worked for another company that simply just supplied, you know, quote unquote, a warm body. <laughs> and except that that person went to the same meetings I did and we did the same design on the whiteboard. And except they actually filled out a timesheet every week for their employer so that their employer would then go bill my employer. But then they had the benefit of being able to get group insurance to their employer and even have a 401k. So the, the relationship doesn't change that much in that middleman kind of scenario. You you feel like you're still going to work every day. You probably even are going to get a badge for that place and feel like you're actually an employee, which is a little different from what you're talking about, Todd, where it's like, you know, even though you're an employee your job is to it sounds like is to to listen to what a customer of your employer needs done and get that project done for them
1: yeah that is correct yeah um it really comes down to like i said how the the statement of work is defined if the statement of work is here i'm going to provide this person for six months and they're going to provide you general development services that's more of a staff type situation versus a statement of work saying we're going to provide you this solution. At the end of this period, at the end of this six months, it's going to cost you this much money for us to build you X, or for us to consult to you and tell you how to build AppX. Um, one of the things that I've, I've learned is kind of interesting, which a lot of people always um, have asked me along the way is people say, well, well, don't consultants cost more than employees do? And the answer is yes, they do. But for the corporation, you fall into a different bucket. Like when you use a W-2 employee, there are certain things they have to have a liability to have for you. You have to have insurance. They have to have pay certain taxes for you. Whereas a consultant, they're just paying basically paying the hourly rate. It's just a pure cost.
2: Oh, right. And they know but what the cost is. So when is. they, when they add, all, add all that up, then consultants often don't cost more. They generally cost about the same at the end of the day with all of those expenses and everything kind of added together.
1: Yeah. And, you, and the idea is generally when you bring a consultant, you're hopefully bringing in skills your day-to-day developers may not have. Right. You're augmenting them with additional skills. You're not right. just bringing in bodies.
2: Right. So I, going back to uh, what Chris said, actually my my first gig after I went through all of this and, and deciphered all these terms, I actually ended up um, hiring on as a 2 as an employee to a firm, um, to another company, because they had a, a position, a specific position that I was interested in that I interviewed for. I interviewed with that end client um, directly for that specific position. They, they said, yes, that's great, come on in, right? And so my relationship with my hiring firm was very interesting. So I was a W-2, I was an employee, except I was an hourly employee. And so every week I filled out my time card and I put in the number of hours down to you know 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever the agreement was, Um, and I got paid for the amount of hours I worked. So if I took time off during the week, I didn't get paid for those hours. If I worked 20 hours, I got paid 20 hours. If I worked 40, I got 40. If I worked 60, I got paid for all 60 hours. And so this concept really kind of blew my mind. What does it mean to be an hourly employee, right? That just was just really weird to me. Um, and plus through this, as you mentioned, Todd, you know, or, or, or Chris, I'm not sure who, who mentioned it. Um. This organization also, they did not give me benefits. They were not included in my pay, um, but they offered, the organization offered, you know, group benefits. So basically a discount on the benefits that the group as a whole was able to get, but they didn't give them to me for free. I still had to pay for them. And so that was just a very interesting engagement that I had. But the, the perhaps even more interesting thing about that that I really noticed very shortly in is that I was treated exactly like an employee and in other words you know i was sitting next to an employee i had the same manager as an employee and when they went and had company picnics i was sitting right next to them on the picnic bench eating their food and that organization was probably breaking the rules (laughs) and they probably weren't using uh consultants correctly but um that i've always had that level of um comfort with the folks that i was working next to as a consultant the employees that i was working next to as a consultant. Even once I got to the larger you know enterprise f- firms that were really really afraid of that differentiation and I keep kind of uh, implying or, or uh, referring to that uh, that that issue of uh, you know doing it wrong or anything I think we're going to get to that in a little bit later um, but uh, just suffice to say right now it's really not a good idea
0: well let me ask you this Jess when you so when you were this you know this hourly employee but it was still w2 did you ever because I've seen uh, both answers here did you ever find that the target company that you were actually walking into every day and, and sitting in a cube did they ever get to the point where they said you know what now our contractors our
2: consultants um, they can only work 40 hours
0: no overtime for them
2: yeah that was really that was really weird too so again this was this first one was a pretty small organization right there was like I think 10 employees, software developer employees, there was other employees that ran other parts, but 10 software developer employees. And then like 30 um, developers that were 30 consultants that were brought on from various firms that were specifically brought on for a, a particular project. As you were talking about Todd, so this was a this was clearly staff augmentation, short term. You know, the twelve employees or ten employees could not build this project in the time frame that they wanted on their own. So they brought in thirty more folks until the project was done, and then they let them all go when the project was done. But even during that time, because they were so focused on their their costs, their bottom line. Um, they said, they very explicitly said, do not go over 40. And and don't really, you know, try not to go under 42 because we really want to plan for you. You want to budget, right? And so, because if you go 41 hours, I'm going to have to pay you those 41 hours. I'm not paying you overtime necessarily. I'm not paying you time and a half unless that's in the contract. You know, it's still the same rate. Um, it's still a simple mathematical formula of, you know, rate times hours, but I'm I have to pay you for those hours versus my employees where... I'm paying them the same, regardless of whether they work 40 hours or 80 hours or hundred hours. And so I just, I don't have those same budgeting concerns. It's gonna be the same budget either way. And so that was the smaller organization who just didn't have a whole lot of money to spend above and beyond what they had budgeted for. But it was exactly the same in the enterprise that I ended up working at as well, where you know here we had thousands of employees, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees, um and and consultants you know folks working at the at the organization and they too were so concerned about the budget and just having the correct budget and hitting the correct numbers that they said i need you to work exactly 40 hours because that's what we budgeted that's what we planned so don't work over right obviously there were some exceptions there's always some exceptions in the software developer world yeah we've got a crunch time we need you to you know work some extra hours but those were rare those are very explicitly rare and in those cases, I had to tell them, you know, I'm coming up to 40 hours and I'm going to need a lot more time to finish what you need this week. And I would have to specifically get, you know, approval to go over 40 hours for that week. So that was a pretty interesting uh, relationship that I've had with both of those.
1: Here's somebody to jump in real quick. So you mentioned something before I thought it was kind of interesting, which is a little different in my experience. You mentioned the idea that when you went to this, this firm, they... Basically, you had to go interview with the client itself, and the client has to approve and say, yes, we want to hire Jess on to do this work. So that that firm was pretty much just the minimum man in the the equation. In the type of organizations I've worked in, it's a little different. We actually hire consultants ourselves. We interview them as you typically would interview any normal developer. We make sure you have a a certain skill set. We also look for people who have experience in consulting themselves. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little later, what's the difference between a person a consultant who's a developer. But in our case, the relationship that, like I said before about the statement of work, is between the, the customer and, and my corporation I work for. So they have less input on who is actually assigned to the project. We have a project manager, we have we have a, a technical manager, and they figure out, for this project, these are the best people. And we might even switch people in and out as we go through a project, depending on what our needs. The relationship is basically we've agreed on these sets of hours, on this set price, to deliver this set of deliverables.
2: Yeah, so I've actually worked in, in both. I mean, what I've been describing, um, those two situations that I was describing, those were definitely the, the I was hired on directly for my specific skills, um, you know, by name, basically. I was interviewed by the end client in, in both of the scenarios. Um, but then I also worked for, I was an employee for a, uh, a firm. They didn't call themselves a consulting firm, but they were doing a lot more of, of what you're talking about, Todd. And I believe your current situation is where, um, they're basically selling solutions, right? And then we, as the developers built the solutions for the client, but the client wasn't looking for hours. They weren't looking for developer hours. They weren't even necessarily looking for code. They were looking for working solutions, right? That's all they cared about was, uh, you know we we're gonna give you twenty thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars and we're gonna get something in return um and this was actually the the company that uh that chris and i worked for this is this is where we uh where we met i actually hired him on there um but uh yeah i mean i, I, I had experience with with both of them and uh i i have to say the 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 latter um, where I didn't really have much interaction with the the client I, I didn't really consider myself a consultant but uh, I, I think probably technically we we still were but um, it was a very very different experience for me individually you know as as an individual as a developer I was still writing code but I wasn't really interacting with the end client as much as I was in in the other engagements I don't know Chris what was your what was your take on it
0: well, I mean, I think what's what's really important is is that there are these these different categories, and and you know you you might work for uh, a company that's that's in a specific business, and so that means you're probably building their products, and so you're going to be concentrating on one type of software. Whereas when you're doing project work. You know, you might be, you, you might still have an expertise, maybe your, your company likes to build mobile apps, and so you're going to be building a lot of mobile apps, but it doesn't mean you're going to be building the same type of mobile app. One might be for um, insurance companies for their, for their uh, customers, and another might be for, you know, maybe for a sports network so you can provide sports scores because the expertise that you're providing is what's more important and the this third party whoever they are has decided your firm or you personally if you've decided to contract personally is the person that they need to build their solution they're not going to be able to develop this expertise in house you're the expert and it's quote unquote cheaper to have you do it and so even though you know in that situation you know you and i were employees the folk that we worked for they were called upon because they had expertise in certain types of systems. Um, specifically certain types of devices, right? Right, right? And so they said, well, then, hey, they, these guys are the experts in that device. The people that work for them can best build the software for those devices. And that's that's right. where we came in.
1: Right, right. So I want to comment real quick. Jeff, you talked about being in a situation where you basically work for a consulting firm, but you didn't have a lot of interaction with the end customer. There are definitely are situations like that. And particularly for someone just getting new into this field, it's very important to understand what kind of relationship you're going to have with customers, right? You may feel more comfortable where there there is that that um, isolation for the customer. You just want to be a developer, still heads down type of thing. Or you may want to be more like worldwide kind of in, which is basically we're interacting with customers almost on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Even though we're still consulting, consulting to them, the, the relationship is... is uh, Much more of a collaborative environment back and forth.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that's a crucial point. I think the people we're really talking to with this episode are folks who really just have a lot of experience with being an employee and just kind of wondering about consulting and wonder if if you should get in consulting or not. I think that is probably the number one, well, one of the number one questions uh, that you should ask yourself is, you know, what do I want to be doing? Right? When you're talking about, uh, what opportunities you're looking to pursue? You know, do I want to be an employee? I think you really have to figure out. Um, you know, do I want a lot of direct interaction with the client, or do I want to kind of be behind the scenes? Because, as we've talked about, you can be a consultant in both aspects, um, and and still and still choose between them, right?
1: It's also important to understand if you're gonna go work with a firm, what do they do, right? Like Chris was saying, if they build mobile applications, is that something you're interested in? Cool. That's probably a good fit for you, but if there are a company X that does SharePoint, for example, and you don't want to ever do any SharePoint work, well, that firm probably doesn't make sense for you.
2: Oh yeah, no. I've I've made it a I've made it a career goal that I will never <laughs> ever do SharePoint work. So that company yes. will not
1: work <laughs> for me. Um, but my point basically is, I think one of the differences when you interview with a consulting firm versus just interviewing as an employee for a company. When you're interviewing at a company, you're just trying to figure out all right, can I work at this place? Does it sound interesting enough? Do they yeah. have good benefits and things? Yeah. When you go to interview for a consulting firm, you have to also understand who are their customers are, right? Yeah. yeah, yep. Where their customers are located. There may even be a case where you need to travel yep. and things like that. Yep. Um, also need to understand sort of like, how do they contract you out or how does, how's the relationship between the customer and you? Right. Are you just basically going to be put in this situation where you're being sent to a customer for six months and you have no interactivity with the company you work with, or you're closer to sort of where I am, where I'm a full-time employee and have lots of interaction on a day-to-day basis with my co-workers who work for the same company, but then also with the client. Yeah. There's yeah. a different pr- perspective. So, so I think this is a good segue into talking about, like, when you're your contractor, or you're working for a firm, what are the different types of contracts you can have between, uh, in a consulting type of situation?
2: So uh, the ones, the, the, the two main ones, the kind of two top-level ones that I've, that i kind of classifying that is a fixed bid which means that you are you're giving an estimate and you're sticking to that estimate basically what you just described Todd like we are going to deliver this in six months and it's going to cost seventy thousand dollars you know something like that um and those kind of bids are often used for to kind of compare prices between different firms right and so you know, I'm going to choose one consulting firm over another consulting firm. You're going to get proposals from, you know, five, six of them, or whatever, and you're going to basically choose the cheapest one or whichever one has the best reputation or whatever. Um, so it's the cheapest sometimes. Yeah, usually <laughs> it's the cheapest, especially yeah. if you're dealing with government. I think by by law, you know, the government rules are that it has to be the cheapest or preferred
1: vendor. Every situation is a little
2: different. Yeah, yeah, but then so then the other one is um, more of a, a time and materials. It's called T and M. Um, where you're basically saying, um, I'm going to pay you for the hours that you you work, right? We're going to kind of set some ground rules and some expectations. Like I expect this to be done in six-ish months and it's going to take you X number of hours, but like you're not contractually bound to that, right? And so that is generally more for that staff augmentation model. I mean, you can use it for a project or whatever, but it's generally more for that staff augmentation model of like, yeah, we're, we're going to have you in for the next six months. I'm not going to tell you, you know, I, I, I can't really say exactly what you're going to be doing. Um, but, you know, it's going to be about six months and you'll probably work about 40 hours a week and, and we'll just pay you as you go, right, for your time and materials. Um, generally in the software development world, there's not a whole lot of materials. Uh, but, uh, you know, generally it's just the times, right? And so then you deal with like contract lengths, Right. So then you start talking about under the time of materials, you generally have a contract for three months or six months or maybe even a couple of days or something like that, um, where it does put kind of that time constraint on it. Like I'm go- we're going to agree to this loose agreement of I'm just going to pay you however many hours you work, um, but we're only going to do it for six months. And then at the end of six months or toward the end of six months, we'll kind of reevaluate then. Maybe we'll extend it. You know, we'll extend your contract, meaning we'll extend it another three months or six months or whatever. Um, but it's definitely, you know, that contract has an end date, that end date can be flexible and extended, but it has an end date that everybody's kind of expecting um, versus a fixed bid, whereas it's kind of built into the contract, like you're, you're going to deliver this work in, you know, six months for $70,000 or clause, clause, clause that, you know, is explicitly describes what is going to happen, the consequences if, if that doesn't happen. Uh, does that sum it up? I mean, do you, do you classify yeah, it mean, any differently?
1: At a high level, yeah, that that definitely is a good breakdown of how it works out. Um, A lot of the work I've worked at, and I've worked at a couple different firms, we kind of steer towards the T&M model more, um, only because fixed price is a lot harder to estimate. Particularly when you estimate, you have the least amount of information about a project. So there's a lot more risk. So you kind of end up in that weird middle case where you say, all right, we've agreed to do this for some hours, this many months. And the idea is, at the end of the time, you can say well, we're going to extend the send you guys for another period of time, or you can just end the contract. So, one of the things we really haven't talked about is it's very important whether you're doing it yourself or you work for a corporation that if someone is keeping track of the time, right? Oh yeah. Because if if you lose track of the time and you say it's going to take six weeks and you're five weeks into it and you're not even halfway done, that's a problem. Um, and you have that too if you as an employee, but it's yeah. When there's <laughs> I'd a contract that's, that's up, pretty universal in software. It, development. It, it's uh. <laughs> It's a lot more risk <laughs> or more uh, yeah, a headache right, to, d- right, to deal with. Right. That's so, but I mean, back to a contract point of view, a lot of firms will go down the T and M model, and again, it comes down to how does a customer want to work. There's a lot of customers who say they want something called a request for pro- proposal, which is basically saying is you're going to agree to this fixed price without us ever telling you anything. We might simply tell you we're going to build the next great Twitter application, and that's all you get. Oh, by the way, how much is it going to cost to build that? Um, First, more of okay, we're gonna do this agreement. It's gonna be six months. At the end of six months, our relationship is gonna end, and then we get into the like you said the T and M stuff. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the T and M, with my experience, if you have to do certain kind of travel, this is actually probably important if you're a contractor too. That's the kind of time and material you may have, right? If you, yeah. Right. The customer may pay for you to travel there by flight right, right. or by car. They might also pay for your hotel room and things like that. that I mean, that's a, a whole other type of discussion. But it's one important to understand, too, when you get to a firm and you're going to um, be doing some traveling, it's also important to understand, like, how does that work, right? right. Are you putting all the money up front? Do they provide this, that services for you, or do you have to get reimbursed? And that usually is, is that can...
2: or at least it should be, pretty spelled out in the contract, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes,
1: definitely if you contract for you. But even if you say if you're going to go work for a firm, you yes. also
2: want to understand when you interview with them, how does it work? Right. Yeah. Well, going back to what you said about uh, you know the the fixed bid and going over and everything, I, I can tell you <laughs> from experience, I I was an employee of a, of a, a firm that did purely fixed bid contracts and. I mean, honestly, that is, that to me personally, that is just the worst, it's the worst combination of all of them. Because what that means is you pair the employee part, whereas we, I earn a salary and I earn the same amount every week regardless of the hours I work. And then you have the fixed bid where we have promised to deliver something in a certain amount of time. And guess what? If you're not going to deliver it in that certain amount of time working 40 hours a week, well, then you're going to work 80 hours a week because we're yeah, going right. to deliver it on time. Otherwise, you know, the company is going to face the consequences, which could be losing money or, or whatever. No one gets paid. And maybe no one gets paid. Right. And so, you know, you versus the, you know, I was an independent consultant working directly for a firm and they said, you absolutely cannot work more than 40 hours a week, ever. Like, I don't want to pay you more than 40 hours a week. This was the exact opposite. So, Jess, we're talking about, you know,
0: um, being a 1099. We've used that term here. And again, it's a United States term where, you basically you're not working for anybody it's it might be your own it's just your own name you're going to get you're just going to get paid for services rendered and then you've got to figure out a lot of a lot of uh, important things in the United, in the US you have to pay fica and then you probably have some state taxes and some local taxes and then uh, there are other considerations too so what i wanted to ask you about is that when you decide that you're going to be a 1099 contractor there's more to think about than just You know, what am I going to charge? Although that's a huge consideration, too, because you can't be what you were making as a W-2
2: employee. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Right. And so this goes back to like when I was deciding, you know, should I be a consultant? I've been an employee this this whole time. Should I be a consultant? These are all the kind of things that I, I looked out. Um, because when you're salaried, you just generally don't have to worry about any of this stuff because you're going to get the same paycheck. You're going to get the same benefits and everything regardless. But so you, first of all, obviously have to worry about your rate. And that's going to be the first co- uh, topic of discussion when you're talking to a client, you know, what, what's your rate, meaning how much you're going to get paid for every hour that you work. And I mean, that's going to be based on all these factors, right? And so the first thing for me is, is cash flow. So if you're getting paid hourly you've got to worry about your hours like i just said like if you work 20 hours you're only going to get paid 20 hours and that means vacation time and personal time and your kid's sick and you know and so even if you say i'm never going to take any vacation or anything things happen you you get sick you can't go to work that day um and you also have to consider like company holidays like the the the, your client is not open that day so you literally cannot work even if you want to right you can't come in maybe you can work remotely or whatever but and nobody pays you for that right and nobody pays you for that the company closes the company just says nobody works today and so you can't you can't bill for that day and so it's completely out of your control um but even worse is that the project can end at any time and sometimes without any notice at all right some you could literally come in one day that same day and just say they say well you know gather up your stuff and go we don't need you anymore like after noon today right um and let me jump here quick that's probably one of the the biggest challenges as a
1: consultant whether you're a contractor or or you're working from a firm is the contract can end at any time where an employee yeah you can get laid off any time but usually there is some level of notice to that or some kind of uh compensation package yeah as a as a a consultant, particularly for contractor, if you don't have that into your contract, basically they can walk in one day and be like, "Okay, just turn your badge in." There's a the door, and then all of a sudden, now you're not getting paid that week. Yep. yep. Or you won't get paid the, the two hours you were there. Yeah. So you you definitely need to run it like a business almost. You need yeah. to plan ahead, and when you talk about cash flow, you can't think, "Wait, great, I'm getting X nine hours an hour, so I'm making so much more money." No, you're you're basically hopefully building enough money. Then you got to build up your bankroll and your cash roll, cash flow so that you can sustain yourself if you reach a point where you might be between contracts uh, or when one contract ends, you may have a couple days or even a few weeks where you're not working, right? Yeah, that's something no, you have to keep absolutely. in mind and, and I, plan for.
2: I think that is awesome advice. I think that's great advice. But, again, we're not giving advice at this podcast. <laughs> no, but, I mean, in all seriousness, that I completely agree with you, Todd. Those are things you need, to, you need to think about. And I get frustrated is not the right word, but when I'm talking to folks who are considering consulting – um you need to be you need to weigh all this stuff appropriately right you need to be appropriately concerned that your contract can end at any day but practically speaking you don't have to be worried about it right or rather you have to be as worried about it as you are with you know an employee or whatever and i i know i'm making these very broad terms and or, or these very broad statements and they don't really apply but i'm just saying based on my experiences based on the experiences of other folks that i've worked with other consultants that i've worked with and talked to these contracts if you get a six-month contract barring you know issues with the the company or the project or with you as you know you're not delivering your skills weren't up to par like you just generally don't really need to be afraid that it's going to end that much earlier right it's absolutely possible any given day it'll end but realistically practically yeah it's you know it's probably going to last um but yeah i mean you gotta you gotta consider that um, but so the next big thing, especially when I'm talking to folks who are very wary of it is the benefits, right? Yes. So the, especially healthcare benefits, when you're talking to healthcare, this is serious stuff. If you've got a family, if you've got kids, you're literally worried about the health and welfare of your kids, right? I mean, the Obviously, getting paid every day is the welfare and right? getting getting your family money, but literally your health, right, and and your kids' health, and so this is this is not something to take lightly. And in fact, with the uh, the Affordable Care Act in the United States, you literally by law have to have health insurance, right? Um, but even other stuff like four hundred one k and and FSA and things like that to, that just help you save or or keep more of your money. Um, these things just you you've got to. Cons- you got to be concerned about them. I was going to say they're not available to you, um, but if you are direct, if you're 1099, you've got to deal with them yourself. So there are some different options. I don't if, Have you heard of, of different options, Todd or, or Chris, for, for dealing with these things?
1: I've known some people that, that have been independent contractors, 1099 contractors. They found out that there are certain co-ops that will basically allow you to be, still be an independent contractor, but they would also offer you benefits because they can offer a sort of a group plan. They could also offer you... Um, other kind of things, you may not necessarily talk about 401k and stuff. There are different options. Yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, the other thing that
0: that is really interesting is that you have to look at your own situation and find, figure out, if are you in a situation where you could, um, maybe if you're really young, you know, you might be able to get affordable individual coverage. You might be able to do this, you know, through these new exchanges or just maybe on your own but then a lot of times like if you have families or you're married then maybe you say well you know my spouse has good coverage i'm getting coverage through them and yep. and maybe and, and if you know if you're doing that today you're getting coverage through your spouse then and you're a w2 employee and it's being a little cynical when i say this you're you're actually handing your employer a bonus in that yeah. they're not <laughs> they're not covering you for health coverage and so if you are thinking about making this jump, there's there's something, that, there's something that you have today that you didn't have before. Now, I was very fortunate several years ago to work for a company that I thought this was a fortunate thing. They actually gave us a letter every year where they itemized out what they paid your FICA, what they paid for your share of the health insurance. I'm sorry, That's their share of the health insurance. It is very yeah. unusual. Yeah. I've, only one place I've ever worked at did this, and they did it in the guise of... Well, I don't want to say – I don't even want to say this was bad. They were trying to say, we want you to understand that your salary isn't the only thing we provide for you. Now, granted, they were doing this to soften the blow right. of maybe not giving a, a raise that employees were going to jump up and right. down for. But to be right. fair, to be just totally fair about it and objective, this is that is a great thing. And if you it work really for is. a place that's willing to sh- share that information with you, that's actually really helpful. But now something has changed in the last few years that all of us can take advantage of if you're a W-2 employee. On your W-2s today in the United States, Box 12 has the amount that your employer pays for your health insurance. That's, oh, cool. that's something that has to be reported now, and that's cool. part of the Affordable Care Act. So what's interesting about that is I have an article here from Forbes from February 2013 where they say the average cost of health care – For a family of four, in 2012, an employer-sponsored plan was $20,728. And on average, the employer paid $12,144 of of that Mm. amount. So just go figure out how much you're paying in premiums today, and then go compare it to that box 12 number, and you might be in for a sticker shock of, I didn't know that my employer was paying that much. Yeah. so when you're trying to think of what that hourly rate's going to be to go on your own if you don't have that safety net of a spouse or another situation or maybe you're young and individual insurance is cheap for you then
2: that hourly rate's got to go way up yeah because that's all on you now everything that your employer was paying is now all on you right you're responsible and, for the whole thing and the, the other thousand and the twelve thousand yeah
0: and and you know the worst thing about it is that's after tax dollars that you're going to be spending yeah. now <laughs> yeah. where when you yep. get that as a benefit, uh, as in the United States, when you get that as a benefit, it's like money you never earned. Yep. yep. Not that we're CPAs or anything. No, but... no. And so the, that's, a, that's where I want to go to now, though, because when you did this, Jess, there were probably folks, you know, that besides the benefits, there were other things that you considered. I mean, you had to protect yourself from losing your house or being personally liable. And then, like, who did you talk to for advice? Who did you go to?
2: Yeah, that's that's one big thing. And I found advice very short in supply. I mean, I kind of knew some folks who were in the industry, but they weren't frankly, they weren't really much help. I mean, I searched the Internet and I found a whole bunch of random articles. That's just the worst way to do anything. Right. (laughs) Especially when you're talking about like the livelihood of your of your of yourself and your family. Um, but uh, there's opportunity for stack consultant. Yeah, right. Did you hire an accountant? Did you hire an attorney? Did you? So I did. Yeah, I absolutely did hire an accountant. Accounting is is one of those things that you know I've I've never been good at, and certainly I'm not going to trust myself with all the ins and outs of this stuff. Right, being self employed and all that stuff. I mean, personally, I am not going to take that up. It, frankly, I just, I won't be able to keep up to date on the changes in the tax code and all that stuff, which sure. could cost me thousands of dollars. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, tax professionals basically pay for themselves, right? The money they're able to get you back or save, you know, is, is money that you yourself probably wouldn't have without significant investment in in your time and learning it. Um, but the the one other big cost, well, it wasn't really that big, but um, it was an unexpected cost for me was... My first client actually required me to get, as an independent consultant, required me to get insurance, liability insurance. So this was like for something like if um, I, well, basically, if I cost their company money, they could come after me, but they didn't want to come after me because I only had $10,000, right? So they wanted to come after me for millions. And so they required me to get liability insurance for X millions of dollars, right? They literally told me the amount that I needed to get Uh, but this is something like you know if I made a bug or whatever Uh, yeah 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 it's exactly like malpractice right if if I made a bug if I wrote a bug that went into production and deleted the whole database right and basically wiped out their business overnight they they're going to be pretty upset about that and firing me is not going to be enough right they they want to have some reparations for that and so they would actually require me to get liability insurance and that I had no idea where or how or whatever. Um, but I ended up again going to some site somewhere. I, I honestly don't even have the site. I can try and find it, put it in the show notes. Um, but I just signed up for insurance and they, they charged me. It was very straightforward. It was like sign up for any other kind of insurance, you know, health insurance or anything. You know, check the boxes for the options that you want and uh, you know, how how much you want two million? Okay, you know, two million and it's gonna cost you a thousand dollars a year. And that's what it was for me. It was it was a thousand dollars a year. So like I said, you know, when we're talking about what you're getting paid versus a thousand dollars, it's not that much, but it was an unexpected cost, right? It was, it was a couple hundred a month or whatever. So that that was just one thing. But again, to your point, I mean, that's all stuff you got to factor into your rate, right? So when they're asking you what's your rate (laughs) and you're used to making, you know, X number in a salary. That salary has a whole bunch of this hidden stuff that, that, that you guys are talking about, that we're all talking about, right? Right. Is that, you know, the, the, the stuff that your, um, your employer is paying for in terms of your benefits, your health and, and, and all that, your 401k, and also this liability insurance and, and any of these other expenses, your your, ta- your accountant expenses and all of these things, right?
0: Right. So definitely, you know, do a lot of research. Get an accountant you can trust. You're going to have to interview them just like you're interviewing an employee, right? And, and, I mean, it wouldn't even be a bad idea to think about talking to an attorney that specializes in these matters. Even a short consultation, it's going to cost you a couple dollars. But, you know, the whole idea here is to get a little bit of freedom and and probably put more money in your pocket. That's, that's probably the idea. Um, control your expenses a little bit more and and really
2: that's advice that's beyond the podcast you're going to have to go to experts there's just no question about that yeah absolutely i mean and that was my that was pretty much my primary if my only uh, motivation for doing it was more money right and it actually did turn out to be true it wasn't it wasn't as big. It, it, on paper, it looked like I was going to be making fifty percent more than what I was as an employee. But once you take into consideration all these costs, then it was far less than fifty percent. But it was still definitely more than I was making in, in effectively the same job as an employee. So. Now, how much vacation did you take? <laughs> uh, don't ask.
0: Certainly, don't ask my wife. Well, you were you were afraid to, right? It was. It, I was. You took was. a day of
2: vacation, and I wasn't afraid. Cost, it was just yeah, it cost no, it very, money. I wasn't afraid, but it was, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid that my client or anything would be upset or anything. And that was, in fact, that was, that was very amicable. It's always been, is- it's never been an issue. Um, you know, when I tell my client, I need this day off or whatever, it's even more than an employee, right? An employee, you actually, you're asking for time off, but in, with this relationship, within a consultant in relationship, you're basically saying, Hey, can you not pay me for two days? And they say, yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> sure. Go ahead. And so it's, it's a lot easier. Um, but uh yeah but you you end up when you're an employee you get paid vacation right and so you literally get paid to go sit on a beach when you're a consultant you're basically getting double tapped right not only are you not getting paid vacation you're not getting paid to go sit on a beach you are losing money, right? You're not getting money that you would have made. And so, for me, just the the thought of that was just too much and it was totally a psychological, you know, personal thing for me. I just couldn't stand losing that money and so I went on far less vacations than I should have, which is a bad thing.
0: Well, you know, in the W2 contracting situation that that some folks are in, sometimes if you're a valued employee or it's just the kind of organization you're in, there's a concept of the bench, and that's an that's an inside baseball kind of term. Like I've I knew what it was, but the first time I heard it, I had to ask somebody. Like, what, what do you mean about being on the bench when you work for a consulting firm? And Todd, you know what that is, right?
1: Yeah, um, it's funny you, you talk about baseball. That's actually I think where the term came from. Yep. Um, you can think of it this way: the, the guy sitting on the bench who's not playing that day still collecting his paycheck. Um, a lot of this depends on the different type of situation and the, the firm you work for. Like what Jess was talking about, when you're more of an independent contractor, there is no bench, right? When you don't, when you're on the bench, you're definitely not getting paid. You don't have a co- contract currently. When you work for a firm, and every firm is different. There are some firms that simply say, "All right, we will hold you for two weeks if we can get a new contract for you. Off you go, your happy day. If for some reason you can't, then we're going to sever our relationship. Or you work more the for, firms like i've worked where is basically i could be on the bench for three months i mean it never happens but basically i'm still getting paid the same it, it depends on um the situation a lot of that i think has to do with the size of the company if you work for a smaller consulting company generally the idea they don't want to have people keep coming and going right and in the perfect situation you always want to have a little bench because a new contract may come in or a con- or current project might take a little longer so you won't always have people so you don't want no bench, but you also don't want to have your entire team on a bench right. because then you're not generating your revenue. So it, it becomes more of a, a business problem for a consulting firm. What is the, the liability cost? But it's And a, I worked at yeah. firms where basically they planned for, we're going to have 10 people on, on the bench every month. But it's as yeah, long as it thing. always fits in that same period, it was a. It was planned for it. It didn't have to take account.
0: Yeah, it's definitely another thing, though, that when you're going out and looking and you say, hey, I'm going to stick with the, the W-2 option – then at least you know that that's something that exists. So when you're comparing the different consulting firms you might want to go work for is, well, hey, what, what do you do when I'm between projects? Are you on the bench or are you out of work? So it's just something, yeah, to, that's something to consider. Yeah, that's
1: a very right? important question to ask. Yeah, yeah. 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 and what are you going to be about. doing
2: on, while you're on the bench, right? You'll yeah. still be getting paid. But a lot of firms will take that opportunity, that downtime to put you through training or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, again, that depends. So some firms that... I mean,
1: once they have you as an employee, they don't want you to go away. So they will try to find out, how can we make you marketable? Right, right, right. And again, also, that a lot of it depends on what they do. If It's just a general consulting firm. They're placing C-sharp developers, Asp.net consult developers. Generally, the bench, the more than likely wouldn't have a bench, or they have a very small bench. Yeah. If you're doing more of an expertise thing, well, it's very hard for them to go out and find the next great guy who does SharePoint or whatever. Yeah. So to them, it makes sense.
2: Well, and some of the firms try to place C sharp developers in Java roles, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that that's the uh, <laughs> that's, that's something story. we have
1: to try to avoid. Yeah. So, um, any final thoughts before we
0: wrap up? Well, Jess, you you know sometimes when you're uh, sometimes I, I remember you were talking about looking at job listings, and I have seen sometimes where it says like uh, contract to hire, and there's a concept, right? There's a there's an industry term for that when you um, when you're going to start in the contract and then you might switch over to some other position in the company.
2: Yeah, no. And as a manager, this has become my absolute favorite way of hiring is because some people, just because you're able to ace an interview doesn't mean that you can actually do the job, right? The skills required to ace the interview are not necessarily the skills required to do the job. And so, um, this, this to me means that you come in as a consultant, right? So everything is very above board and it's, it's often very explicit. Like right? you come in as a consultant where you're going to be a consultant for six months, this is a six month contract. And during that six months, there's no difference between you and any other consultant, we're going to pay you X number of dollars for each hour that you work, blah, 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 right? But then at the end of that six months, we have the option to convert you, right? We've seen that you can do the job and we wanna bring you on as an employee. And at that point, they actually convert you and they just switch you over to to an employee, meaning they put you on the payroll and now you become a salaried employee, and you're no longer a consultant. And so you can do that kind of directly with the organization as a 1099 or a corp to corp or whatever, or you can do that through the intermediary. So this actually happened to me on, on my first gig. I went through and I was a W-2. I was an employee with a consulting firm, a staff augmentation firm for a direct client. And I was there for, I believe, six months or, or eight months. Um, I forget the, the initial length of my contract, but it was in the contract that after, say, three months or whatever, I could convert. And in fact, in that scenario, I converted from a a W-2 employee with the staff augmentation firm to a direct 1099. So I didn't actually convert Mm -hmm. to an employee. I actually converted to a direct consultant. So I cut out the middleman. I was able to make a little bit more, but I still had the same uh, the same interaction. Right, I was still a consultant but uh yeah. often with the with the consultants that i deal with today you know in the enterprise world that's a pretty standard thing right so we'll bring in a dozen or, or 20 consultants and then one of them or two of them will, will really stand out and it's somebody that we really want to keep on for a long time and we don't want them going away um and you know after a certain amount of time we'll extend them an offer and try to convert them
0: yeah you Well, know, interesting yeah and, you know it's funny because uh being an employee being a contractor which way how are you going to get paid you know i've i've been in the unfortunate situation of of having seen a lot of layoffs um i've survived them um i've been at one company where there were three uh, rounds of layoffs over over the years that i was there and for different reasons i survived different ones um a, a layoff that happened early in my career i think i survived because i was young and cheap let's be honest that's probably what it was And then another layoff later in my career i think was because for whatever reason i became one of the subject matter experts on a topic and they probably made the decision that even though we we might be trying to trim some costs here's a cost we can't afford to trim so you know we've talked a lot about going out on your own today and, and maybe either being a different type of employee. And it, and it does have a lot to do with the concept that I, I'm reading about a lot today in the 21st century of being a, all of us being a corporation of one, looking out for ourselves and building our own brands. And, and we talked a lot about how folks stay employees because it's considered more secure. That's true. It is considered more secure. There's less you have to think about. But the sobering thing that I picked up from having observed some layoffs, that that actually, I mean, sometimes they were very emotional times. Seeing folks, you know, just suddenly you're packing up and going home, and you don't have a job the next day is, well, that's not too much different from some of the stuff we talked about today as a contractor. Yeah, so absolutely not. Is I'm definitely being a little jaded and a little cynical here because there's no question that loyalty for a company can be rewarded, but sometimes when the money runs out or times are bad. The company's loyalty to you is is unfortunately it's going to be an afterthought and decisions about who to keep and who to lay off don't just have the motivation of cutting the deadwood so don't you know especially if you're new to this industry don't just think that that's how the, the decision is going to be made and so in some way no matter what you're doing especially in what in a business like ours where companies rise and fall we are already all all contractors and yep. uh And so just think about that when you decide what type of employment you want to take and what your priority is for the kind of code you want to be working on. Is it something that makes you happy, a project that excites you? Do you want to make a little more money for some security and safety to protect yourself?
2: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And in fact, that was one of the top uh, concerns that I had or, or one of the top reasons that I Gravitated toward, toward consulting so easily, you know. One was that my wife was a teacher, and so she had benefits for me, so I didn't have to worry about that specifically, health, right? Um, but then that was the other one is that I have never believed in in job security as an employee at all. I, I just believe that's a total myth. I mean, there are um, you know laws in place that allow you to you know sue a company if you feel you were wrongfully terminated and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, if the company wants to get rid of you, they will get rid of you. Um, if the company can't afford to keep you on, they're, they're not going to be able to keep you on, regardless of whether you're an employee or a consultant. Right. And then you have things like layoffs, which are more of, they're not as an individual scale as like what I was just talking about, but more of a broader scale where they just say, well, we need to cut $7 million. And so we're just going to cut a whole bunch of people. And then, you know, they just kind of arbitrarily or not arbitrarily, but for various reasons, choose the folks that they want to cut. And, and you may or may not be on that list and you may or may not have any control about it. Your job performance doesn't necessarily dictate that, right? A whole lot of uh, concerns go into that. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never believed in job security. I've always believed that if you provide value and you find someone or a company that is willing to pay, has the money and is willing to pay for you, you're going to be paid right regardless of whether you're a consultant or or an employee if you're providing value and an organization has money to be able to pay for that value the the relationship is going to continue on
1: so both of you made a lot of good points there um one of the things i wanted to say is when i talk to people i interview a lot of people who are getting into the consultant world and coming to hopefully work for the the firms i work with or work i worked for I often tell them a couple good points. When you talked about the idea that people getting laid off and stuff, that can be very demoralizing to people. And it, even if you end up being the guy who sticks around, then you start thinking like, well, do I want to stick around? How long do I want to stick around? Am, am I going to be next? Am I now going to do the work of three people? Even though I'm still getting paid the same thing. Where I think the, the, one of the best things about being a consultant is, while well, you still have that risk, right? Your contract can end and stuff. You are you're basically an employee for yourself. Even in the case where I work for a a firm, I'm still representing myself out to the world. So I am, I am not, I call it married to the, to the customer. I'm not married to them. I have a a way to end the situation if it's not right for me. Where if you're an employee, if you, you can quit your job, obviously, but when you do that, then you have to go find another job. My, when my situation, a contract will end. I'm at some point you, your relationship ends. You're not married to the situation. Um, which, which is good and bad, right? So, what's good about it is um, I can, I'm always, my main focus is there to provide value to the customer, and when I'm all done, I'm done. The bad thing of it, and I think one of the things that a lot of people have a hard time when they first get into consulting is your role and your responsibility changes between just being a normal developer. Um, I've been in situations where, because you were the consultant, no one wanted to talk to you for the first two weeks. Like you were this. Who are you? You're a consultant. You're taking your way from what I could be doing as a as a a developer, um, and that's just the way the trick around that is basically to become established and build relationships and things like that. Um, the other thing is you talked before about being able to go to the the company picnic and things. There are situations where that works. There's other places where basically because you're a consultant or contractor, they'll stick you in a uh, closet somewhere. I always refer to there there's cases where you're in Tableville where there's like sixty people in a room. you don't even get a cubicle or anything um, or you get just terrible equipment to work with. so I mean that's it's I mean in a nutshell is I think the best thing about being a consultant is you get a variety you get an opportunity to work on a variety of different projects. You're not stuck just in the day to day world of being one thing. Um, in the cases where I work, I'm work with three or four different customers almost on a daily basis. So in the morning, I might be working on one customer doing one thing, and in the evening, I might be working on something else for another customer. So if you really like the idea of being able to diversify your skill set, interact with different groups of people in different industries and things, consulting may be the right fit for you. you. guys have
2: anything to follow on that? Yeah, no, I agree. And I also I wanted to touch on that, right, the, uh, the last point about how you're treated as a consultant. Because, um, I mean, we, and, and particularly I, have been talking about basically – my day-to-day experience as a consultant, my interaction with my coworkers, has been effectively the same. Um, but there are, there have been a few very important things. Uh, I mentioned that, you know, in the smaller organization, the smaller company, you know, I was invited to the company picnic and I sat there and I ate the food and everything. In the larger organizations that had a little more exposure and had a lot more to lose, um, they were much more concerned about what are called co-employment laws and these are laws based on a microsoft case um a case that was uh back in 1989 microsoft actually got in trouble with the irs that they were treating contractors as employees meaning they had like the same manager and same hours and everything and microsoft actually agreed and they said yeah yeah no you're right we've been treating them like employees and they filed taxes for them as if they were employees and then so eight contractors heard about this irs ruling and filed a class action lawsuit in 1992 and they claim that they, what they were called uh, permatemp. They called themselves permatemp employees. Um, and they were actually awarded. They were awarded $97 million in 2000, right? And so this, is, this ruling basically defined this, this concept of, of co-employment or, uh, or, or permatemp that basically all of the big organizations now are saying you have to, you have to treat consultants as consultants. You need to make it very clear to them outwardly that they are consultants. So you need to create things like table farms, like what you were talking about, you know, and only employees get cubicles and offices, consultants, they get table farms, right? Consultants, they get one monitor, employees get two monitors. And it's like stupid stuff like that. But it's to make a point very, very deliberately to make a point that these are consultants, we are not treating them the same as employees. So in the bigger organizations, absolutely never would have happened to me that I would have been invited to a, a company picnic and sat along and, and ate along with my employee co-workers. Um, and then that actually has the practical issue of you have what what I like to call the 18-month rule, right, is that, uh, which is pretty common in these big organizations, that in order to very clearly say, you know, this this is a consultant, they say you're you cannot get an extension past 18 months. And sometimes you can get special exceptions, right. And go like another six months, but definitely not over 24 months, not over two years. Right. Once you hit over the two years, it's very hard to claim that this is not an employee because they've been with you for a long time. And the way that a lot of people and a lot of companies get around that is there's actually like a cooling off period where you have the 18 months and then you go work somewhere else for three months. And then come back and do another 18 months, right? So you can work around it, but these are definitely concerns, especially if you're going to work for a big organization. These are going to these are concerns that are going to apply to you. But I mean, in in terms of day to day, it's not like you're going to come in and people are going to be giving you stink looks that uh, you know you you took my buddy's job or anything like that. Or at least I haven't experienced that. It's definitely much more civilized, and you know, in terms of uh, social, the social aspect of it, you're 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 on the same footing, you're on the same ground, the same level as as your employee co-workers. But uh, as far as the company is concerned, you are absolutely definitively a second-class citizen and they make it known every chance they get.
1: Uh, I mean, one thing I want to say is it is very very important, you know, you still actually, even though the company may be treating you differently and the co-workers may or may not treat you differently, you've got to definitely treat, you want, the best situation is where you do, you're just another developer on the team. Right? You don't want to be singled out or, or called out. You might be providing a different role and providing different value to the customer. But you, just to be able to survive the day-to-day of, of the situation, it's very important to just become part of the team. Yep, absolutely. So, I agree. And It um, really doesn't fit too much what we've been talking about, but this is one thing I want to touch on real quick, is as a consultant, it's very important to establish relationships and alliances and things, but definitely try to avoid... Any kind of inner uh, company politics, if you can. <laughs> I've been in situations where I end up in the middle between the IT people we work with and the end user customer. And it's just not a good situation. And being in an, a as a consultant, you end up getting blamed by everybody because, <laughs> like, oh, the consultant said this. You know, like oh, I never said that. It's very easy to to get blamed for things you are not even involved in. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Um, Again, that's part of the the, the 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 game. My understanding is when you work for the customer, I always tell people that you want to become friendly with them. You want to treat them like you would any other coworker situation you have, because it's going to be very helpful for you to to survive day to day. But also, when you want to go to the next, if you want to get your contract extended, or like you were talking about Jess, if your contract ends, you want to go somewhere else. Now you need these people to help you. Your 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 brand, right? You're establishing who you
2: are. Yeah. You need those references. You, st- need your right. you still need references. Again, it's 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 very similar in that regard. It's very similar to being an employee, right? When you go to your next job, you need references. You're you're building a brand. You're building just because you're not an employee doesn't mean you don't need references and and to build a solid uh, background and professionalism and everything. Those things don't go out the window. They still apply, arguably more so. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, I think that's a show. Um, Thanks for spending the time with us. We hope you got a lot of value out of listening to this discussion. And if you did, please let other people know by submitting a review on iTunes and letting your friends know. Uh, It's the word of mouth that's going to help us grow and help keep this thing going. Also, we talked about a lot of stuff in this episode. And if you're interested in uh, learning more about it, we'll have the links to everything in the show notes at staticvoidpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can find all of our episodes and even sign up on our mailing list to stay up to date with everything that we do. Todd, Chris, thanks for the chat. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. And all you out there, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time on the Static Void Podcast. See you guys next time.